Welcome to the Andrew Scott Show. Today I had the great pleasure of speaking with Ben Winter. Ben is an interesting dude. He's the author of a new book called What to Expect When Having Expectations. So we talked all about his book, including expectations from a high level, uh, but we also got down to a more practical level on how to deal with unmet expectations. He also does a lot of team building with corporations using improv. So he schooled me a bit on improv as well. Uh, it was a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. And we are live. Ben, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, Like I was just saying a minute ago, I found you online there, and um, the title of your book really, really spoke to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing you kind of dive into that um do you want to share what your book is and, and specifically i'm i'm first, i thought an interesting question to start off with uh, would be uh what led you to to write the book in the first place yeah uh well it's weird because there's thoughts at once um i'm i'm curious kind of like what what about the title kind of caught your your eye really quick I've, I've never asked one of the hosts that that i've talked um, to i'm like yeah Oh yeah, uh, just the idea of expectations, and specifically the the kind of meta angle you have on it of what to expect when having expectations, I, th I think is is interesting. Something that's kind of and, and ideas that I've been interested recently in reading about just in free time have been things related to like Eastern philosophy and, and Buddhism, and like it, it reminds me of this this idea of you know, uh, desire is the root of all suffering. And like that, that is very akin to the idea of expectations. Like you have an expectation, something's going to be a certain way, a desire, it's going to be a certain way. Like, um, that seem that seems very, uh, parallel to me. You can, you can correct me on, on the, the differences between, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's why. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So going back to your question about like how it came to be and all of that, uh, so the book is what to expect when having expectations. And I, I teach a lot of improv for kind of like team building and corporate training and stuff like that. And often I was sitting there saying something during one of the rules, um, specifically the one called be specific. And I talk about expectations and I always say at that point, the only reason anybody gets upset is because an expectation hasn't been met. And I, you know, then I sat with that for a really long time. I was like, yeah, that seems to hold true. Every time I think about any time I've ever been upset or why anybody gets upset or anything like that. And so I thought it was great because I, I'm mean, here. I am like a speaker and author, all this stuff. And now I have like a saying I'm like, this is cool, but it doesn't solve any problems. <laughs> so, so I sat down with it a little further and I was like, all right, I need to solve this problem. And that's where I came up with a flow chart that kind of starts at the top where you're like, you're upset. You know, and the, the first question is, did you know you had the expectation? Because most of the time we don't know that we had the expectation. It's a subconscious kind of programming that we have. And, you know, we don't recognize it until it's right there in our face. Um, but I, you know, I created this flow chart and every time somebody says no, you know, you kind of get to that question of uh, have you shared that expectation? 
And a lot of times we don't share our expectations with others because of, we have some kind of fear around sharing it. And so every time I had a no, there was so much depth there and uh, places to explore that I'm like, all right, fine. I got to write a book about this. And so I did. <laughs> so it was kind of backwards, I think, from what a lot of people do. And, you know, they come up with an idea, they write a book and then they, you know, get all the ancillary stuff around it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it went for me. Interesting. So yeah. I, I did check out the flowchart. I, I thought that was uh, that was cool the way you put that together and kind of like this very easy to understand way to, to approach this. But um, do you want to kind of give a synopsis of it? Because obviously listening to this won't be able to see it. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. So, yeah, the, the synopsis really kind of takes somebody through the process of, you know, you're finding you're upset in a moment in time and kind of some steps and questions to explore that'll hopefully bring you to a place of being at peace. Um, like I said, the first question in that flowchart is, did you know you had the expectation? And I think right there, you know, if you're willing to stop yourself at the moment of being upset and at, start asking yourself questions, you're almost immediately going to be at some level of peace. Now you might be exploring it. You might be a little upset at the moment still, but you're at least doing something different. You're saying like, yeah, no, I didn't know I had that expectation. And I think when it hits a lot of people is when they become an adult and they're going through in a situation that they haven't been exposed to, um, that they maybe the last time they were exposed to it was when they were a kids and their parents were going through it. So now you're the adult and you're going through it and your, your subconscious programming thought and action and response to the situation is exactly what your parents went through or the opposite of what your parents went through or some variation. And now you're upset because it's like, this is not how it's supposed to be or whatever, or you're in a relationship with somebody and, you know, they disagree with you in a way that you never saw a disagreement between your parents. So you're like, no, this isn't how relationships are supposed to be. Right. We have these weird expectations we didn't even know we had. And then all of a sudden they're getting challenged. Um, and so that's where a lot of our upset moments come from is from stuff we didn't even know we had. Uh, but it was it was programmed in there from our youth. And, you know, you just I, if you're willing to stop yourself at that moment of being upset and say, hey, there's there's something I can do here. There's this flow chart I can work through or I can think differently about the situation. It's going to subside that uh, anger for, you know, pretty quickly instead of being upset for days or weeks or months. It might be hours or minutes or even seconds. And that's kind of the beauty of the flowchart. So, um, I, you know, we can talk about it all day, but uh, it's it's available for free for downloads. So, you know, feel free to explore it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put the link in the in the show notes description, etc. Yeah. Um, what so what is it about sharing that like remedies it? Is it just is it you know, about the connection with somebody else and, and having that human to human interaction? Or is it really just about kind of getting outside of your own two ears? Like, what is it about the, the sharing that's really helpful? The sharing of expectations? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the thing with sharing expectations is I, it, it's this new concept that this world has been introduced to recently. It's called communication. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I say that facetiously, but it, the, the reality is we suck at communicating these days. We absolutely, as a society, suck at communicating. We can text and email and you know, phone. Like we have so many ways to connect with people, yet we suck at communicating what we really think and feel. Uh, because the written word isn't communication. It's just written words. And how it's perceived is based on the person reading it. And that's a big problem because, you know, if you're being sarcastic and the other person doesn't read it as sarcasm, they're going to read it as you being a jerk. And and that's that creates a fight. Or, you know, and just think about politics or religion. You know, people start battling one side or the other without actually talking and saying, like, why do you think the way you're thinking? Or where do you get your information from? Or, you know, why why are we having this conversation about two completely different things yet we're battling each other on it? And, and that's, so that's the, the main reason to share those expectations, but that's also the biggest reason there's a fear around sharing them. You know, what if I share my expectation with my significant other and they decide that's a deal breaker and now we have to break up. Like there's a lot of fears there, but at the same time on the other side of that fear is freedom. Because what if you share your expectations with your partner and now you have a much better relationship? You know, it can go both ways. And hopefully you're in a strong enough relationship that when you share those expectations, things do get better. Uh, one way to look at it is if you're setting a boundary, you're setting expectations. It's the same thing. You're just saying, like, I expect you to respect me when I say don't do that because it doesn't work for me. Um, you know, like if I'm asleep, don't sit there and bang the cabinet doors, you know, like have some respect, right? You know, simple things like that all the way up to the really complex discussions about like a sexual relationship or how to spend money as a family or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, there's a lot of fear in sharing those expectations because sometimes we're not going to agree. And then we have to have a, a further discussion and we're going to have to negotiate and we're going to have to communicate. It's, it's scary sometimes. Yeah. It's vulnerable, right? <laughs> Getting outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. For Vulnerability is the, is the key word there for sure. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, so that makes sense when you're talking about expectations from, like a spousal relationship or any relationship that's person to person. But what about expectations that are like more so having to do with the environment, um, you know, and, and things that are out of your control? Yeah. And so one of the questions on the flow chart is uh, it's, it asks, is this a reasonable expectation? And a lot of times it's not, you know, I, I always use traffic as an example. I have expectations that people took a, took an exam, they got in a car with somebody who said, yes, you're able to drive, and then they're proving that they don't know how on the road every day. And it, you know, it's one of those trigger points for me where I'm like, oh my God, how are you still with a license on this road? And so on and so on and so on. But is it reasonable for me to have the expectation that everybody on the road knows how to drive? It's completely not reasonable at all. Why? I'm not able to have a conversation with everybody on the road. Um, it has been this way since I've gotten my license. It will be this way until I die and it will continue on. There will always be discrepancies on the interpretations of driving etiquette, driving laws. And, you know, as, as we get more and more distractions like our phones and texting while driving and all this other stuff, it's just going to get worse. 
So until our cars are automated and they're driving themselves, uh, there is no reasonable expectation. Even if I had a trillion dollars and I could get on everybody's computer screen and tell them how to drive, I can't get buy-in from everybody. There will always be somebody saying, screw you. Naturally. And they're, they'd probably say, screw you, trillionaire guy. I don't like you. Like, maybe if you gave me a trillion dollars, I would drive better. You know, th that's how people are. So it's yeah. completely unreasonable to have that kind of expectation. It is completely unreasonable. I mean, you said environment. Mm -hmm. um, it is completely unreasonable for us to expect that everybody on this planet wants the environment to, you know, survive and thrive and for us to do something different. Uh, you know, we all we're sitting here using computers and phones like the amount of environmental damage just to get the components for these devices that we require on a day by day basis is detrimental to our planet. Yet we continue to do it. Even the people that like are big environmentalists, they if they have a phone, if they have a watch on, there was a lot of destruction to the environment to get the components for that particular device. So, you know. When we look at like everybody's got to do their part, yeah, the more people that do their part, the better. But ultimately, the expectation is going to come into like somebody's going to have to solve it on a big, big scale. Like somebody's going to have to create a device that's going to suck trillions of, you know, tons of carbon dioxide out of the air and turn it into diamonds or whatever they do with it. And there are devices out there that do that, but they're going to have to upscale that to such a degree that that's really the only way we're going to suck carbon dioxide out. Now, pollution and other stuff. Again, you're going to have people that create these big giant things that solve all these problems because John down the street, he doesn't think it's real. So how are you going to convince him to do his part? You know, it's yeah. like, so you, you kind of have to play with expectations within reason. Once you know it's unreasonable, then all you can do is take a step back and say, what can I control? What expectations do I have influence over? What expectations are reasonable? And most of the time it's our reaction to a situation or our participation in a situation. You know, maybe it's that we expect ourselves to do our part, to do the recycling and to make sure that we're recycling in a way that it gets recycled and not just ends up in a landfill in Indonesia because somehow it's cheaper to take our trash on a big boat, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you kind of have to just look at yourself and what your actions are. And, and if you're not happy with your own actions, how can you possibly be happy with anybody else's actions? Right. Yeah. That's the, what Gandhi saying, be the change, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's an excellent point. And it seems like uh, it very much ties into this idea of like the locus of your, con of control and, you know, what's, what's internal versus what's external and, and kind of understanding um you know what you actually have influence over what you can control right like you, you can't control what goes on in the news so don't let it drive you crazy yeah all you can control is which news you watch and if you watch it at all you yeah. know i i go on a walk pretty much every morning and sometimes i'll throw in the earbuds and listen to like npr and and this morning i, I forgot my earbuds and i was like you know what? I haven't listened to the news in a couple of days. I'm pretty happy right now. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of amazing yeah. when you don't pay attention, like how much it really does not affect your world. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. There's times when I get trapped in these uh, like YouTube rabbit holes of, of watching some, you know, news reporter that's not, you know, 
a little farther out from the mainstream just to get a different view on things. And I'm like, oh, this this is good. Like I'm staying informed and it's it's not like this this garbage you get fed on the mainstream news. But at the same time, it's like you still give it a lot of emotional energy. That is not a good excuse, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it, at least for me, the the struggle. But, you know, yeah, balance. balance is certainly a thing. And whether you're watching whether you're watching, you know, balanced media or biased media, like it doesn't matter. It, it creates an emotional tie to that world and it's just yeah. it become it everything that comes up comes up all of a sudden and so whether they're talking about it or not you've got your emotions attached to it and it's it can be stressful yeah no 100 percent um so i i think this is is great and, and you know really give somebody a good way that they can approach things right just from a very pragmatic standpoint um but surely you must get people who say, oh, yeah, great, Ben. Thanks for the flow chart. But just because I understand this idea cerebrally, cerebrally uh, putting, into, putting it into practice is a little bit different. So how do you help somebody who's kind of struggling with this? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing is that people are always looking for that magic wand, that, that quick fairy dust fix, and they don't, they don't exist. I've been yeah. doing personal growth work now and the reality is you have to do the work you have to practice on a regular basis now the way that i look at it is i i, I use einstein as the example of that you can't solve a problem at the same level it was created and the interpretation i like to use is that you can't solve an emotional problem emotionally you have to solve it physically mentally or spiritually um, just like sometimes you can't solve a physical problem physically. Sometimes it has to be an emotional or, um, like it's a psychological fix because it's, there's really nothing wrong with you physically, but psychologically you have to fix whatever's going on. Um, so in this case, being upset is the emotional component and a flow chart is a very mental exercise to it. So it takes you away from the emotions and just gives you something. So, you know, if you take the flow chart on a walk when you're upset, guess what? You're going to solve that upset very quickly because not only are you walking and doing something physical to change the, the state of being, but you're also going through this exercise mentally. Um, what I hope people get is just understanding that in the moment of being upset, you have an option. If nothing else, just the reminder that you have an option, you're going to find a way to practice that on a regular basis. And the reality is if you're upset, there's, there's a million ways out there to solve that problem, to solve that issue. I'm simply providing one that I think is quick and easy. And what it's going to do over time is if you allow yourself the permission to say, when I get upset, it's totally fine that I'm upset, but I know I can do something with it, then you're going to practice with with a flowchart or some other tool that you find. And you're going to find that you're not upset for days. You're going to find yourself upset for hours. And then you're going to find yourself upset for minutes. And then situation that you've been upset about repeatedly over and over, you'll be upset for seconds because you'll be like, traffic again. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I don't I may get upset at somebody in traffic for like that particular moment, but it doesn't carry on the rest of my drive where it used to. Like I would I would take that moment of being upset at that one driver and I would carry it all the way to where my destination was and then I would carry it inside and I would be angry and upset in front of everybody that was around me and 
Nobody wanted to be Hank. Nobody wanted to be around me. Nobody wanted to do anything with me. I didn't want to be around me. <laughs> but now I can take that moment, yell at the guy and move on with my day. And it's fine because as soon as I yell at him, I'm like, ah, yeah, unreasonable, Ben. Like they yeah. can't hear you. <laughs> There's all you can do is chill out in this moment and just let it go. You know, that's, <laughs> that's all I have control over is me and my reaction. So, so really it's just, Hopefully I'm giving somebody somebody a really easy tool to practice with so that it becomes easier as time goes on. Because the less the less we're upset, the more happy we're going to be in life in general. True. I, I can see that road rage, the road rage in your eyes, Ben, there. I'm just <laughs> screaming, white knuckling that wheel. I can picture it. I can tell um, you last last April during the pandemic, I was out in my car all the time because there was nobody on the roads and it was magical. <laughs> just taking joy rides exactly <laughs> um yeah so you described uh yourself you know yelling at somebody and like come on ben they they can't hear you what are you doing like this is this is silly it's it seems like it's just that uh being having that awareness like cultivating that awareness to to catch yourself like okay let's let's relax here like i, I know how to handle this right and I, I have a flow chart. <laughs> but um, so with the uh, idea of the flow chart and, and really the entire idea of this, um, this book, it seems like it's, uh, you know, there's something about the understanding of why you're having this issue in the first place. Like, to your point, you mentioned that everyone's looking for an external solution, that pixie dust that's going to solve everything, you know, just with the snap of the fingers. But um, I heard someone say, and I don't remember the the name, but that the understand or the, the solution to the problem is simply in the understanding of the problem. Like, and, and if you understand, you know, and you can you can use that flowchart to understand why you're reacting the way you are, and having a, an idea to break it down seems to be helpful. But um, and I think that's cool. But anyway, you're, um, what would you say? I mentioned Buddhism and Eastern philosophy when you asked me what, what caught my interest on the title. What um, philosophies, schools of thought, ideas uh, most impacted you in, in writing this book? So throughout my personal growth experience, like there's been lots of teachers across all walks of life. And it's, I don't know that it's one thing in particular that, that kind of brought it all together. It was mostly just the commonalities of all of them, which is just be, be good and kind to one another. You know, there's way too much hatred and bigotry and just pain out there. Uh, and there's not enough understanding and walking in other people's shoes. And it's, you know, you can't just sit there and say like, you know, suck it up if you're not in their shoes experiencing what they're experiencing. And, and I think that's where a lot of the understanding needs to come in for people is like, yeah, I don't know what you're going through. What can I do to help? That's different than suck it up. You'll be fine. Like, we don't know. We have no idea what somebody's going through, why they're going through it, how they got there. You know, you can see somebody at the grocery store and they're, they're terrified as hell to go home. Like, I don't ever want to experience being terrified to go home. Like, that does not work for me. Like, my biggest concern during the entire the entirety of the pandemic was 
those kids that relied on school as the safe space to go to. And that is scary to me. Like I'm fortunate. I, I have 11, I have an 11 year old son and I really hope that he feels safe at home. And I'm pretty sure he does. I'm, I'm very sure he does. But the thought to even think that a child is, doesn't feel safe at home, just that pisses me off to no end. So, you know, going back to the realistic expectations, obviously I can't solve that by just telling everybody to calm the, the hell down. But what I can do is maybe get this message out to that one person that that's going to change their life and have a better life as a result. And if I can do that, if I can affect one person positively and, and they have a magic swing in their, their life for the better, then I've done my part. Um, hopefully it's thousands and thousands of people and maybe millions of people as time goes on. But, um, that, I mean, that's what we can do is we can affect one person at a time. We can check in with our neighbor and say, hey, are you all right? What do you need? Do you need time away? Do you, I mean, do you need me to watch your kid for a day for you to just chill out and enjoy yourself? You know, whatever it might be. Um, there's just not enough understanding in the world today. You know, people that walk into the grocery store and throw a hissy fit, like what's really going on for them? Like, we don't know what's going on in their, their life and their household something's clearly upsetting them to the point where they're willing to put on the most crazy show that you know is going to end up on YouTube because everybody's got a phone, but what's really going on behind the scenes for them, you know, and we don't know. And we don't, we don't as a society seem to want to take the time to really just sit with somebody and say, Hey, what do you want to talk? Like what's going on? Yeah. It seems like, with the rise of the internet and social media and everything, communication has gotten very wide and very shallow. Like <laughs> we, uh, we see, you know, to, to your point, you know, a video of somebody freaking out that goes viral at a grocery store or whatever, but you have no idea what that person's story is. You And you'll, and you'll probably never hear from them again. That's the crazy part. Like you, you wonder how something like that affects their life, you know, like having gone, because, you know, we're, we're not wired to be seen and, and heard <laughs> by millions and millions of people. Like, that's just, that's, that's not how, uh, we're, that's not what we're wired for. So it, it, you see like all these examples of people getting famous and like handling it bad. Like it's, there's, there's something there, like having all that attention that, that can be um, extremely detrimental. And, and to your point, like you, you never know somebody's story before it either that, that led up to it. And so it's, it, it's it's very weird it um and I, I love that you mentioned uh that you know it's mostly been the commonalities you've seen uh throughout you know the, the journey that is your life and in, in, in these different lessons and uh, that have led you to you know you know looking at things through a more empathetic lens and, and caring for your neighbor it's 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 very interesting to me like you from an idea of uh like perspective of, of mental models. Like you look at uh, you know, karma in Buddhism, you look at Newton's third law, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You look at the law of attraction in psychology and it's like, what do all these things have in common? Like there's, there's a message in there, you know, it, it's when you see that <laughs> repeated thing, it's like, you, you should pay attention. It's very interesting. Yeah. And you know, it's what I find interesting is that when it comes to personal growth, it doesn't really matter who you learn from because everyone's saying the same thing. 
like some people like Tony Robbins and some people can't stand him. But then they go to the next person who's saying the exact same things just in a different way. And they absolutely love it. And they think it's the best thing ever. Now, if you would have told them, yeah, Tony Robbins says the same stuff. They'd be like, no, no, I don't like Tony Robbins. And that's fine. That's why there are so many successful people teaching personal growth, because the way they say it resonates with certain people. So whether it's you want to believe in, you know, listen to Newton because you're more scientific or you want it to be, you know, go look at Buddhism because you're a little bit more spiritual, whatever it may be, whatever resonates with you so that you grow as a person, have at it. Like if, if my stuff is what makes you like a better person and you, you just resonate with it. Great. Do it. Um, if, if you're like, Ben, you're full of shit and I'm going to go listen to Tony Robbins. Great. <laughs> it's like, as long as people are moving forward and growing so that they can recognize karma for what it is, they can recognize compassion for what it is. Have just do it. I don't care who, how, when, just the, the amount of people that aren't trying to better themselves and aren't being compassionate and aren't learning tools to make it easy for themselves. Those are the ones that concern me more. But if, as long as people are moving forward and growing and changing, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so what message would you give to the ones who uh, aren't being reached by this, this kind of thing? It, it doesn't matter. They're, they're not listening anyway. So it's, it would be a waste of effort. Um, for those that are, have even the inkling of wanting a change, you know, I'm the guy that's going to give you permission to go ahead and get upset. Cause I think getting upset is a great moment in time to recognize it's an opportunity for change. And, you know, society these today is like, don't get upset. Don't get upset. Everybody, you just need to be happy. You know, no, we get upset. That's how life works. Just recognize it for what it is and choose to at least be aware that there's a, a, a different choice that maybe you didn't recognize before. And that's all it takes is those little moments in time to say, I can choose differently right now. And if, if being upset is that trigger point that helps you move forward in life, great, do it. Be aware yeah. of it. It's yeah. It's you can't get rid of your emotions, <laughs> right? Like that's just not how it works. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's an, an idea in the in the world of positive psychology that my, my wife studies. And it's that, um, uh, the, I think Jonathan Haidt came up with it. Uh, the elephant and the rider, like your, your cerebral brain is like the rider and your ancient brain that has all your emotions and, and, and that kind of thing is the elephant. And it's like the, the rider needs to be kind to the elephant and work with it and, and, you know, work with the emotions, right? Uh, because if you get off the elephant and just try to push it, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot more powerful than you. Uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it seems like a very useful analogy or I found it to be anyway, but um, I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some interesting ideas in the, in that field. Um, but I, I want to kind of change gears a little bit here. So I know you have written a handful of other books, um, in, including uh, Living Unscripted, Business Unscripted, team, team Building Unscripted, and Relationships Unscripted. So mm -hmm. what does that word unscripted mean to you and, and, and why that word? 
Yeah, so those books are based off of teaching improv for those particular areas of, of life. So uh, Living Unscripted is kind of the, the first book. Well, it is the first book that I wrote. So the premise is, is that we live a life of improv. Every moment of every day of our lives, we improvise what we say, do, how we act. The situations that come up, we, we simply respond to them accordingly. Um, even if we were able to wake up with a script next to our bed, there's no way we can memorize an entire day and then have everybody stay on script. So improv is just what we do. What most people don't know is that when you're watching like an improv show, such as Whose Line Is It Anyway?, uh, the people that are on stage doing improv are following a very simple set of rules. And that's what makes the show successful. Now, if you've watched improv and you're like, that was the most horrible thing I've ever seen, I can almost guarantee you <laughs> with 100% certainty that somebody on that stage was not following the rules of improv <laughs> or all of them weren't. It's, it, you know, one or many. But if everybody on stage is following those rules of improv, it's probably one of the most brilliant things you've ever seen. Some of the best scenes in movies that exist were improvised and they were kept in there because the directors, the writers, everybody said, we can't top that. That was amazing. And it was all improv. Uh, and so what I do in these books is I just teach people what those rules of improv are and how they relate to life and relationships or business or whatever it might be. And, you know, hopefully you can use them on a regular basis uh, to have a better life and just have more fun and, and better communication. Love that. So what, yeah. what are these rules of improv? Are so they, one are they of the brief enough you could go through them? <laughs> I'll, go through, I'll go through some. That's sure. for sure. So one of the uh, most common rules that people know, uh, it, like if you ask people, you say, do you know a rule of improv? The people that sort of maybe know they'll remember the word yes and, or the two words, yes and. That's the most common and re most remembered improv rule that's out there. And what that really equates to is accepting what is in the moment and doing something with it, adding on to it. Uh, if you're talking about stage improv, one example would be two guys walk out on stage. One says, hi, mom, how are you? The other one has to now accept that their mom and they have to add to the scene to keep it going. So it's like, don't hi, mom, me. You spilled paint in the garage, right? So now you have mother and child played by two guys, and you have a scene about paint being spilled in the garage. From there, you can just kind of play with it. And it I mean, that scene has a place to go. Uh, in life, if we don't accept where we are, we're never going to get where we want to go. So if you don't have the money you want in your life, you have to accept, where am I financially? And where do I want to go? Only then can you see the the steep, uh, the steep the the number of steps on that slope or whatever uh, the saying would be if I knew what I was talking about at the moment. <laughs> but you know, you can see where point A and point B are if you're actually willing to accept where you are. Because um, if you just think like I want to be at step B, but I think I'm over here with millions of dollars in the bank, and you're actually over here with three dollars in the bank, there's a huge difference of your starting point. So uh, it's really just accepting what is and then choosing what to do with that information that you have in front of you. You know, hey, you're stuck in traffic. You have to accept that you're stuck in traffic. And do you stay where you are? Do you get off the highway? Do you try a different route? Do you turn on the music? You know, what do you what can you do in that moment? 
once you're accepting that you're stuck in traffic. Um, do you have a phone call that you have to make to say, hey, I'm stuck in traffic, I'm late, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so yes, and is probably the, the most common and it's the, the most fundamental thing to start with when it comes to life and improv and, and in general. So, um, and I mentioned one earlier, it was called Be Specific. And that's where, you know, again, two people on stage, if one actor says, hi, mom, how are you? The other can't just say, don't hi, mommy, you, you're upsetting me or you upset me with doing something. Well, that's not very specific. It doesn't really help anybody. And now the other person has to come up with something else to add to the scene to make it make sense. Whereas if you say, don't, don't hi, mommy, you spilled paint in the garage. You know, that was very specific. It's like, now I know mom is upset mom has noticed that you spilled paint in the garage and now they can be like well i didn't really spill it i i was you know doing this art project because i was making a mother's day present you know or what however they wanted to go with it they're yeah. adding specificities to it so that you actually understand where the scene's going to go in life one of the examples i use in the book is like a husband and wife at home the wife says hey uh, can you take out the trash and the guy's watching sports ball. So he just says yes, and then nothing happens for a while. Uh, and it really just kind of keeps escalating from there, and she gets more and more upset because he's still not taking out the trash. Now, if she would have said at the beginning, honey, please take out the trash because I just put fish in there, and we have guests coming over later, and I don't want the house to smell, well, that's way more specific than can you take out the trash. It actually specifies why and when and and the reasons all behind it and he could have been more specific in saying yes when sports ball is done i will take out the trash well now you're actually communicating you're sharing those expectations with one another you're actually negotiating as to when that trash will be taken out so you know you can kind of start seeing the ties between stage and life where these rules really just kind of come into play um the, you know, another one that I always like to tell people about is focus on the present. You know, you and I, we're focused on this conversation right now. We're not thinking about what we're doing when we're getting off this interview, because if I was thinking, well, when we're done here, I got to go get my kid and I have to entertain him because it's summer break and uh, there's probably laundry to do. And what should I do for dinner? You know, you and I would not have a very good conversation. I would not really hear your questions and I wouldn't be responding accordingly. Um, and how many times are we talking to somebody and they're like, oh, sorry, what? Yep, nope, I'm just on my phone texting my buddy because you're standing right in front of me and you're clearly not as important as my buddy that I'm texting, right? It's it's stupid what we do in society. Yeah. Go out to dinner. You're sitting across from a person. And what do we do? We get on our phones. You know, we're not focused on the present. We're not focused on what's going on around us. And... Uh, it, it can be pretty impactful. I mean, Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power of Now. It's mm -hmm. all about focused on the present, living in the now, and, you know, seeing what's going on around you at that very moment. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, that's interesting. I, I have heard of the, the yes and rule. Well, <laughs> I, I think I only knew the yes part of it, but I, I'm vaguely familiar with it. But, um, yeah. And, and that's, that's why I say yes. And is probably the most common because somebody knows almost everybody's heard it or knows some variation of it. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very fundamental. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like a, a very good 
metaphor for life, improv generally. <laughs> because that, that's a good point. Like you are improving every day, improving this entire conversation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's cool. Um, wow. I've never like dove into improv before. Like, in fact, I've I've hardly even seen whose line is it anyway. But from somebody who's in the know on improv, what would you say is like your favorite example of improv like a show or something that somebody could go watch like myself so if you if you're not familiar with improv i would just say go watch some uh, clips from whose line is it anyway and you'll see kind of the improv background that i've had which is called short form improv you get up and do it like a little two three minute thing um you get suggestions from the audience from you know from somebody so you're making stuff up on the spot but you're just you you know the actors are using the the tools and techniques and the rules of improv and that's that's what they do um and then it just works out uh i always tell people that take an improv class even if you don't want to perform on stage because you know it, just being aware of the rules like going back to just being aware that you're upset and that there's something you can do about it just being aware of the rules is going to help in life and so how, taking an improv class isn't necessarily for getting up on stage. It's, it's just, a, it's a life skill. And I was always, before taking my first improv class, I always said to myself, well, I'm not funny enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not fast enough. You know, all the reasons why not. And once I took that first class and they're like, well, there are rules to improv. You follow the rules. You'll be fine. Don't worry about being funny. That yeah. takes care of itself. And all of a sudden, you know, just, they, they put my mind at ease and I was like, well, sweet, let's do this. I can follow some simple rules. And they are, they're super simple. If you follow them, they're so easy and everything just works so much easier with them. So, but yeah, go watch whose That's lines awesome. it anyway. <laughs> I will. So many people have told me to watch it, but now that somebody who actually does improv is telling me to watch it, I will. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there you go. Um, you have Sold permission. Officially. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, so you mentioned uh, mindfulness again there, or um, awareness rather, and maybe was the word you used. Um, do you do any like sort of mindfulness meditation, any kind of practice like that on a, on a regular basis or, or where are you at with that? Yeah, no, I do meditation. Uh, I haven't been doing that much lately, but in the past I've definitely done lots of uh, meditation. Um I don't know if it, I kind of feel like if you're doing meditation and it's mindful period, like I, yeah. I kind of feel like that's just a newfangled f uh, phrase for something that has just been part of meditation for years. Um, I say awareness a lot because that's what personal growth is. It's awareness training. It's not, there's, there's literally no personal growth that solves your problems. What it does is it, it allows you to be aware of what you have going on for you and allowing you to choose to do something different in that moment. That's all it is. Because once you're aware, again, this goes back to yes and. Once you're aware of, of where you are, you can do something different. Once you accept that you have this problem, this issue, this situation, you can do something different. Until you're aware and can accept it, there's, you're not get nothing's going to be different once yeah. you once you recognize and accept that you're the one walking in the store and throwing a hissy fit 
nothing's going to change with you being upset when you walk into that store and throwing a hissy fit. Like you have to recognize I have an issue that I need to work out before I walk into the store and throw it in somebody else's face. Yeah. Right. So, you know, again, it's not like I'm trying to tell somebody, don't be upset. Don't get pissed off in the store. Yeah. It's kind of rude, but really kind of stop yourself and figure out like what exactly is going on for me that I feel like I need to bitch and complain in a store. I mean that there's much bigger issues right there than the guy wanting you to put on a mask or wanting you to, to pay with cash instead of whatever the reason, like I can't even think of the reasons because they're so stupid lately, but whatever. (laughs) I'm just like, my brain doesn't go there. It's like, how did, how do people come up with the craziness that comes out of them? It's like, it's, it's it just it just erupts on autopilot because they're unaware, right? Like there's exactly get swept up in that emotion, and all of a sudden you're <laughs> you're doing something you really wish you will you would not have done um, thirty minutes down the line. Yeah, but then but then the other the other trap on that on that is that nobody wants to be wrong. So if somebody mm-hmm. does something stupid and they're caught on video, well, they don't want to be wrong, so they're gonna fight you even though they yeah. know that they've been caught, even though they know that there's no, there's no way they can prove that they're innocent. They're still going to fight you because yeah. nobody wants to be wrong. And that's the other, like once I, I kind of feel like awareness training helps you admit when you're wrong and be okay with it. Like there's nothing bad about being wrong. You learned something. Hopefully you mm-hmm. learned something and you can do different the next time. You know, like how many times in a relationship do, does, the wife or the husband or somebody wish the other person would just say, yeah, you're right. I was wrong. Problem solved. Like yeah. no need to fight anymore. It's like, yeah, you chalk one up for you. Good job. <laughs> Next time I'll know better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but no, we'll sit there in a relationship with a loved one and fight them. Yeah. The ego because wants to double down, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. It's d- double down. Perfect. Perfect way of putting it. Yeah. It's no, but then you know, whatever. I guess you have to go to sleep with yourself at night, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess kind of to, to change gears a little bit again, um, we talked a lot about your book, uh, Expectations. And so what ideas are captivating you right now? Are you still riding the, uh, the wave of expectations? Or are you, you on to something new? Several different things. I, I think on my board over here, I've got like eight other eight, eight other ideas for books like a true um, yeah right it's like that would make a good book that would make a good stop making ideas for new books come on you gotta <laughs> write the ones you have um but what something has sidelined those a little bit and that i i'm an avid sci-fi reader and i decided i was going to write my own sci-fi book novel so i've been working on that <laughs> nice what's yeah, the inspiration so. for that I think it was one day after reading so many and the fact that I've written a book, it's like, all right, let, I, I kind of want to write a sci-fi novel. And so then I just let my subconscious work on it for a while. And then I eventually just uh, decided, you know, hey, if I ever have an idea for a sci-fi book, I'm just going to put it down in a note and just let it sit there and simmer. And then one day I was riding down, just driving down the road and I looked at a tree and I was like, what if wormholes were kind of like trees and there were a lot of branches and and then I was like, ooh, what if somebody takes a wrong turn down the wrong wormhole? Oh, 
I just created the title of the book, the wrong turn. Right. So then like, it just starts formulating in my head. And so now I'm writing a book called the wrong turn. And guess what? It has to do with space and wormholes. (laughs) Exciting. That's awesome. Is, Is that then, um, how have you found that like against writing, uh, a nonfiction book is it like difficult or just more uh i don't know just different it's very very different uh i again i'm gonna go back to i'm glad i have improv because <laughs> i'm kind of improvising the story as i go you know i, I start writing and then i think i know where the story is going to go but then something changes and it goes a different direction and i'm just, i'm the one writing it right this is like yeah, <laughs> but I'm writing it and it goes a different direction. I'm like, okay, that's where we're going. Cool. Let's do it. You know, I'm not sitting here fighting it going like, no, I have to make this. Err. Cause it just naturally flowed that direction. And that's what, when you, when you follow the rules of improv, everything just naturally flows easily. Mm. And so I'm not fighting this process of writing this book. I'm just improvising it. And I think that was the other piece is somebody told me writing fiction is like doing improv. And I was like, well, sweet. That makes it much easier for me to do a, a sci-fi novel now. Yeah, I bet. And I think it's it sort of gave me permission to try it. And so here I am uh, doing my best to write a sci-fi novel. And and then a friend of mine that I knew that I do improv with, he wrote a sci-fi novel and he had a book group that they, were, they would uh, kind of bounce ideas off each other and do some brainstorming. So I reached out to him and said, hey, tell me about this book group that you had and and so I've started my own and I've got several authors that we're all just trying to help each other out and be, you know, write our, write our books and get them out there. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you don't hesitate to dive right into things, do you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it's, it's a short life. You got to experience what you can. And, and maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll become like the next famous sci-fi author. And then someday somebody will ask me about my expectation book. I'll be like, what book? Oh, that one. Way back when. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm preoccupied with goblins and and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah. Like, dude, I'm I'm like 3000 light years away thinking about something else. What are you what are you bringing up expectations for? (laughs) That's funny. Um, Speaking of 3000 years away, uh, I know you've done a lot of traveling as well. I'm curious to hear how that has kind of impacted your journey and, and maybe some some lessons you you took from from traveling. Yeah, the I think the biggest lesson in travel is that we're all on one planet. The the people on the other side of the planet that we think are the enemies, they they want the same things we want. Um they're you know, we that's the other piece with sci-fi. When you realize how minuscule and minute this planet is compared to the scale of the universe we are stupid for trying to destroy this planet and each other on it. Like this is all we have. It's all we have. Unless some magical portal opens up and says, here's access to everywhere else in the universe. This is all we got, at least for the foreseeable future. And if we're not willing to work with each other, it's just not going to be pretty. So, yeah, I, I think the, the respect for what we have kind of grows the more places you visit and the respect for people and their different cultures grows. Um, one of my biggest lessons was, you know, you'll watch documentaries or news stories or even those commercials like 
here are these starving tribes in Africa or whatever. And I'm not taking away from the fact that there are plenty of people starving in Africa and that they have just the dirtiest situation and it's horrible. Um, but sometimes our perception of just a tribe in Africa is just thrown on end because, you know, we went to a tribe, uh, of, uh, blanking on the name of them, but it's like, they were very happy people and that was the life they wanted. That's the life they knew they were happy. So for us to say like, you're not happy because you don't have a house and you don't have this and you don't have a PS4 and you like, you don't have these things that we have in the United States. That's stupid. They're very happy. Like, they're way happier than most of the people I meet here in America. Right. Um, there are nomadic tribes where the government said, here's a house for you free of charge. And they're like, Nope. Evil spirits live in those things. We're going to stay outside and just travel around. And <laughs> when we kill a zebra, that's where we're going to move our camp to. And that's where we live. Yeah. It's a nomadic tribe. It's a thing. That's what they know. That's what they care about. And they're just, at, they're at peace. And for us to like, it, it's, it's interesting watching us trying to kind of force our ways into other cultures and it's just not cool. Yeah. <laughs> if you will, like, yeah, democracy can be good, but it's also not for everyone. And I'm not saying like communism is, I'm not saying like the, the world would be better off if we're all like North Korea. No, I'm not sure. saying that at all, but trying to, say like your way of life is stupid and my way of life is better is like even just within the united states that's stupid because yeah, some people 100%. they live in a tiny home and they're so happy and content while somebody else sitting over here in a mansion is just having the worst life they've ever imagined and we can't possibly put our brains and understand it for either of them or whatever and so it, it's just i think tolerance is one of the big lessons that can be learned by traveling because you just you learn about other people. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> I wonder how uh how many shit fits people in those tribes have thrown in grocery stores. <laughs> There's a, probably probably not many. They they don't need to. No, Maybe. they don't. <laughs> um yeah. I mean there's there's definitely something to be said for firsthand seeing the contrast of of living in, you know, this this modern world versus seeing somebody like that who's you know, killing their own food and, and working with their hands and walking a mile to get their water. Like it's, uh, and, and granted, I haven't, haven't seen what you've seen, but, um, just, just the idea of having to, to work for basic things a little more seems like it'd be a lot more fulfilling and tends to be the reason why, uh, you see people in, in places like this, maybe a little happier than, uh, somebody with an iPhone in their pocket 24 seven. <laughs> yeah exactly you know there's some something to be said about making it yourself or doing it yourself and not just having it handed to you for sure yeah absolutely but um what do you say we uh wrap this up then it was a uh, great yeah. chatting with you but before we do um is there anything you want to share where can people uh get connected with you yeah, so if you want the flowchart, learn more about me, find links to my books, just head over to havingexpectations.com. And yeah, you can download that flowchart, print it out, put it at your office, put it on your fridge, keep it in your car. And just remember, you got a tool when, when you get upset. You don't have to stay there. Love it. Love it. 
Ben, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on.